Oscar Poker. It's fantastic. I don't think that there was a better movie at the festival, although I left so early I missed a lot of the ones that people were talking about. But So maybe it's not fair of me to say that. But of the films that I saw, Amour was not only the best film of the festival, but I'm gonna one, I'm, I have to wonder if, it's, if I'm going to see a better movie this year than that. In my opinion, I thought it was just a perfect film. So, I mean, coming in a close second, of course, was Beasts of the Southern Wild, but that wasn't in main competition, so I can't really count that. Can you explain what you mean by perfect as far as um, that film? I mean, uh, it, it was perfect in that it expressed what exactly? What is it that you were looking, that you felt that it, was, that it did better than any of the other films? What exactly did it do better in your view? Well, I don't always think that daring directorial moves are make for better movies maybe they make the person more interesting and intriguing but i don't necessarily know that they make for a better work of art what makes a great work of art to me is something that is um that excels technically tells a really good story and operates on kind of a level of metaphor which i think this movie does which i think is the part that i think a lot of people miss they just think about it being a story about two old people and one of them's dying and he's taking care of her. So they see the, the simplicity in that. About, is about um, um, a, the extent and the depth of love that a person feels for the other? I don't think that's a metaphor because I think that's pretty obvious and literal, but yeah, I think when he... The, the part that the movie went from being just a regular good drama to a masterpiece to me is yeah. when the pigeon flies in the window and yes. it trots around and he looks at it Yes. And he follows it around and he throws a blank, tries to throw a blanket on it and capture it. And he right. picks it up and he holds it. Mm-hmm. That is life. That's life. It's, right. it's a combination of luck and um, skill and impulse. And it's temporary. It's fleeting. It comes and it goes. And there's no way of keeping it. And there's no way of predicting how long it will last. And it just was like, wow, that moment in the film um it just transcend so what he does is i hate to spoil it for people who haven't seen it but basically he takes control of his own fate and the fate of his wife and um that's that's to me that's the haneke moment you're describing and that's what reminded me and sent me back into that uh that group that I've been into with his films before, that was a real Haneke moment. Hmm. And it uh, was not um, uh, forecast or foretold or, you, you know, he wasn't setting you up for it or anything. So, you know, I yeah. thought it was brilliant. So. I was pretty surprised because everybody was talking about Holy Motors, which I skipped. It was playing the last night that I left, and I knew it was going to be something special, but I was feeling so lousy. I didn't feel like going out that night. I just wanted to get myself ready to go and leave the next morning and, I was when I heard everybody talking about it and people were saying it was going to win the Palm. I was feeling really awful because I thought, "Oh God, I can't believe I missed the best movie of the festival." But and I can't believe that that you know it's gonna it's gonna beat Amor, which is what people seem to be saying. But um, but it but you know you always learn that lesson with Ken that it's not about the critics. You know it takes you a while to get it. 
because you think that the people talking the loudest and who have who are in agreement the critics that that's how it's going to go and it never does go that way the jury always has a mind of their own i think that the reason uh, a more one and not um um and not uh, uh holy motors uh is nanny moretti right the sure Italian director i think that he probably he uh he was very adamant about Panicky. I think he's. Um, I, I just a voice tells me that he was very. Well, no. Someone tweeted that he apparently hated Holy Motors. So oh. when, when you have a strong, um, okay, when you have a strong jury member like that, it's you know you they definitely can sway up their their opinion when you're talking about such a small voting, block, you yeah. know, group of people yeah. and. So when when that guy tweeted that he hated it, everybody that's when everybody started to switch their predictions. Oh, okay, so Holy Motors is not going to win. Uh-huh. It's going to be a more or something else. But yeah. um, but well, I, um, uh, when people saw Matteo Giron's reality, which is about a uh, a, 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 a Napoli man who's a fish seller who becomes. Uh, not just disengaged from the day from his normal life, but he sort of loses his mind when he becomes convinced that he may become the next contestant on uh, this reality show, uh, which is called Big Brother, which is um, uh, in this country, in, in the states, I mean, and also in England. And anyway, uh, so but the, the general feeling was not uh, jumping up and down. This is at least really strong, and, it's, and it really is. A, People were kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, reality. And wins the uh, Grand Prix, which is, I guess, the the, the, the follow up, or the I mean, the um, the the, the runner up prize, correct? Yeah, I don't know. It seems to me, I don't know for sure how these things work, but I kind of get the feeling sometimes that there's favoritism happening with the way that these awards go down, just in terms of again, people. Nani Moretti, you know, a, a fellow Italian, right. I, I mean, and it's just not that good. It's 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 not a bad film, you know. I didn't think it was that great either, but I did see that um, when I was just wandering around Cannes and listening to people talking behind me, that was always the one that people said was their favorite, and that surprised oh me because it wasn't the critics' favorite. It certainly wasn't my favorite. I wouldn't put it at the top of the list at all, but. I liked Beyond the Hills better than, than yeah. reality, but... No, I respected Beyond the Hills. I knew I was seeing something that um, I truly felt uh, went in a place that, I, that was... And I loved the final shot of it, and I, I, I loved that he made something that felt to me like true art out of uh, something that actually did happen. So. Yeah, but I, fe- I have a feeling that they have a lot of reverence for prominent directors like... You know, Garon or whatever. They, okay, I think, but the women, Mungu, did he not win for uh, four, three, two? Yeah, he uh, did. Well, he won something for that. What was it? I think it was the. Is either best director or the Grand Prix or something? Or yeah, the Palm, I don't know which one it was, but it was maybe yeah. the camera door or screenplay or something like that. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was but a. Does that make him a distinguished director? Yeah, it does. It does. But I mean, in, for reality to win such a big prize, I thought that was very suspect. <laughs> Yeah, very <laughs> but maybe it's not fair of us to say. Who knows? But it did seem suspect to me. I didn't think it was very good, and part of the reason I didn't think it was that great was the guy's performance toward the end seemed really hammy to me and not not believable. Yeah, but right, it was okay. You know, it was a good movie. A lot, a lot of people did seem to like it. Um, a lot it, of people. You mean a lot of critics? Well, the, the chat. No, the, the just the chatter I was hearing around me, not the critics at all. But wait a minute. So who are you hanging out? What do you mean you're hearing around you? Well, like when I would sit in a screening, I'd hear people sitting behind me saying, "I haven't liked any movie, but I really liked reality." Yeah, I really liked reality too. That's the only one I liked. I heard maybe ten people say that, just in passing, and I was surprised. And they were Americans, so but, it surprised me. The, I mean. Uh, didn't you go to critic screenings to, to people with uh, blue passes and pink passes and all that? Yeah, they were critics, but they were, you know, they were like American bloggers, probably. Brother. So I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying that it wasn't hated. I mean, there were people that did like it. It wasn't like it was. It was a totally hated film. But um, well, listen. I mean, as long as we're talking using the word hated film, um, if there, I mean the. The ringing uh, uh, denunciation of um, of Carlos Regatta's uh, f- um, a film called Post Tenebras Lux. Right. Lux sucks. Uh, <laughs> that was what people, you know, that was the general thing. Forget it. This is probably his least successful film, 
and he wins the best fucking director? What, what's going on here? This is loony. <laughs> this is, again, I think, really, I'm going to start, you know, something, some investigation has to be made into the, the influence of Nani Moretti, who is like the, the villain of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Crazy! They can't give it to Carlos Regadas. Well, who's going to stand up to Nanny Moretti? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I didn't see that movie. Did you see it? Yes, I did. Oh, was it really that bad? It's astonishing. I mean, it was uh, the connective tissue, the thing that would the, the, the shaping that would make it something, you know, somehow penetrating and real and, and astonishing. You know, he's a he's a very strong director. He has a. He has a, a following, and he deserves and has won respect from, from serious critics. And he's, he's not some person you just wave away, but this, is, this was easily his least successful uh, film. And, and from what others who know him better than myself, I've only seen two others besides this, but I, I thought it was a drag. God, that's so surprising. I mean, it, there must be a lot of, like, friend stuff going on there. Yeah. It's just got to be that way. Mm. You, you got to figure. Although there's such a small jury that, um, uh-huh. how many of them are there? And they and they vote f- by majority, right? So in some I cases, system is. I don't know if it's uh, you know weighted system, three two ones, or whether they just kind of kick it around and then somebody capitulate. I don't know how it works. But if it is a majority, then you're just talking about a couple of people who who pick it. You know. Yeah. So that's a really small. Oh, I mean, God, that's like nothing compared to even the Golden Globes, which have a hundred people, and you think that's small. Mm-hmm. But these people, this is really small. So it's it's kind of funny to 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 have any to hold them in any kind of important light at all, considering how small of a group it is. Yeah. But yeah. Um, Jean Paul Gaultier and all that, you know, I, who knows why they they picked what they picked? But I wonder who uh, was second uh, place. No, I was kind of surprised by the two women from. Uh, Beyond the Hills winning. Yeah. Wasn't were... there a general thing was that, um, uh, you know, it was going to be probably won by uh, Marianne Cotillard or that she was certainly... Where did that... What happened there? Where did the, yeah. Why did that lose out? Nobody foresaw that, you know. Again, I don't understand that, that, the way it worked. It was Nanny Moretti that did this, don't you? <laughs> Again, it's Nanny Moretti's fault. He's probably friends with that director. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean... I, I think they liked that movie a lot more than the critics did. That's another thing that's funny is that, you know, I've learned this now is my third year going to Cannes and I've learned that you can't trust what the people, the, the strong critics, like, you know, you're always writing about Guy Lodge or whatever, but you can't trust what they think because they don't think like the jury thinks ever. So anytime you start to go down that road and believe what they're saying, you're always going to be misled. Yes. Okay. In terms of jury voting, like to, to, to get the jury, you, you have to do it like you're doing. You have to look at Nan. Who is Danny Moretti? Who are his friends? What movies did he like? What movie did he yeah. hate? You know? Right. And I remember last year it was the same thing. There were people tweeting about how some of the jury members hated this movie or loved that movie. And, and that's how you knew that, that these movies weren't going to win. So that's the thing. It's different mm. from voting for any other award where you can tell that the critics all liked a certain movie and then it's going to win by a large majority. But yeah, Cannes doesn't work that way. Sasha, just to get off Cannes for a second, which I think is a, it's a, just a perplexing thing, and I, and I would like to hear, and I hope I do hear, uh, the, what happened or what's this... You know, to, I'm not trying to be uh, boring or one note, but I'd like to know if it, if it wasn't the Moretti factor. I'd like to know who it was. Who was the... Was it? Is it uh, our friend Alexander Payne who has odd uh, tastes? And he, you know, I don't know. We, we got, I'd like to hear about this. Maybe something will leak out eventually. You know, you oh, you mean out. about how it works? Yeah, about how it worked, past tense. How it, how the voting went. Who were the, who wanted what, and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, all I know is that David Cronenberg said something cryptic. Did you tweet that, or somebody did about how? He knows how the the can um, jury works, but he can't really say <laughs> something cryptic along those lines, <laughs> like it's corrupt, you know. But uh-huh. and if you knew how it really worked, you wouldn't take it as seriously, or something like that. <laughs> Funny, okay. but I, I do think it's like you said. I mean, I, I learned a lot that year that Quentin Tarantino um, was on the jury in Venice, and and Sofia Coppola somewhere won the top prize yeah, there. That was odd. That was odd. I mean, yeah. it's not that it wasn't a good movie. It was a pretty good movie, you know. Mm. But it's not. 
it wasn't the best movie that year, not by you know anyone's take. Well, but by he my was. Take, I was. That's what won me over to her. I I was completely alienated from her after Marie Antoinette, and when I saw her, um, somewhere, somewhere, right? That was the title of it. I um, I felt. You know, this is the first one that I respected, really respected, and, and I admire her now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is about that movie is it's pretty good, but it sort of hinges on we care what famous people feel and think, you know. Yeah. And, and if you don't care what famous people feel and think, it's just going to be a pretty average but sensitive story about a father and a daughter. Yeah. But it, it, it adds to it that it's about a famous guy, famous star who stays in the Chateau Marmont. Right, is disconnected right. from his daughter and is disconnected in general. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I just it didn't knock me out, you know. Right. Uh, All right. Well, can I ask you one thing about stateside? Uh, I I have lucked out. I feel very gratified that I've met two critics here in Prague, mm. uh, both of which uh, read Hollywood elsewhere, and they're more than happy to, to help me. Great. And they're going to have a screening. Which I'm very happy to to, to hear of um, Prometheus on Friday. So no I get kidding. A few days before it opens. Now you have seen it by now, right? No, I haven't oh. seen it. I, I wrote to that publicist and she didn't respond. Carol Cundiff did not respond. Nope. But that's okay. I can wait. I mean, I did what I could do. If they don't want me to see it, there's obviously a reason why. Well, you, you should just persist with her. And did you also write um, Bumble? No, she's on vacation. I didn't want to bother her. But, you know, she's like my Facebook friend. <laughs> you, um, um, but I'll, I'll see it eventually. I mean, they haven't started screening it here yet, I don't think. Okay. I thought maybe you were one to call them or get in touch because you know of particularly a uh, um, an old media or something or... I heard that they're having an all media around the sixth of June. Okay, but that there's one. In other words, two days before it opens. Yeah, exactly. Bad, bad. So, um, I would think, considering how much I loved Planet of the Apes last year, but I think I had to try to wiggle my way into that screening too for Planet of the Apes. Remember how we we had to? I had to say, may I please attend? Yes. Yeah. So I sent my note, and we'll see if they if they say it. But but it always worries me when they do that because it always means that there's something to hide. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm preparing for. But I hope it's good. It looks good, you know. Right. Um, And we don't have Phil here, but the big box office news is that um, maybe Avengers might be beating Dark Knight pretty soon. For all time box office, yeah. How, what did you think of the Avengers? You didn't think it was that great, right? Uh, no, I, I really didn't. Uh, my my main thought was that for something as uh, as fairly you know fairly empty experience for me, um, uh, particularly the resorting to the uh, uh, you know the power punch element in New York, which was the big finale, which lasted for what forty minutes or so, thirty-five. Yeah, uh, I was just bored by all the um, by all the, the, the you know the the, the, the combat sequences, and um, I did like Mark Ruffalo's attitude as um, as um, uh, the Hulk. Uh, I thought that was I liked him that he was in it. Uh, I wish that I, I'd like to see him in a in a Hulk film, frankly. Uh, because he brought, he, felt, he he was a real actor, and I felt that I was um, that I was that he did something with it that uh, Ed Norton didn't, and that um, um, why am I forgetting the first Hulk? First Hulk, um, anyway, um, the young Lee one. Why can't I remember uh, Eric Bana? Um, mm. So, gee, know, I wonder why you can't remember. It's like the shittiest I, movie ever. <laughs> It wasn't that bad. What I was convinced of after CinemaCon was that um, movies like this, which are not that rich or deep, if you have any longing to see a rich or deep film, really need to be shot in 48 frames per second. And I was saying to myself, if this were at least in 48 frames, I could be into it more because it would be, you know, um, this is what fantasy and CG and, uh, you know, anything of that realm uh needs to be in henceforth and i just didn't feel look good enough it was okay 
you know. Mm. And I didn't come out hating it, mind. I just didn't think it was good enough. And I certainly wasn't like over the moon like the way some, God, the geek community was ridiculous about it. But they were just like fluttering with pleasure. Yeah. So I, you know. Well, as we speak, Dark Knight is 5.33 and Avengers is 5.13. So it's just a hiccup away from beating the Dark Knight of all time. So it'll go Avatar, Titanic, the Avengers, the Dark Knight. So the big question is, um, since people think it's pretty good, although the reviews weren't that great, they weren't as good as the Dark Knight's reviews, do we have to entertain the notion that it's actually going to be a Best Picture contender since it made so much money? Is it that? Well, you always say this stuff, and I always think it's um, there has to be at least a pretense. It seems to me of it being a really good film, in, or some kind of standout film. Uh, you know, like I could, I didn't really uh, like the artist that much, but I understand what people were saying at least because it's cool to have a black and white uh, silent film up for. Uh, so there's that, but to, to just make money, I don't know. Well, like like Raiders of the Lost Ark, is it is the Avengers as good as that movie? Is it as good as Jaws? Uh, I don't think it is at all. No, and I I would uh, I, I take my hat off to Jaws. I, I respect that movie a lot, and I sure as hell respected Raiders of the Lost Ark when it came out, and that was really a uh, a wow experience for its time. And you know, it's a it was Spielberg's the beginning of Spielberg's second surge. So I don't think it's anywhere near that. I either one. So um, yeah, I just have to figure that a movie that's making this much money is really beloved by a lot of people um, of all ages. So as much as I hate to admit it, it's probably going to have some awards play just for that fact alone. I'd like to see them try that. I would like too, to but it's Disney, and they don't often have a, a good Best Picture contender. So mm-hmm. well, they had War Horse last year, but. And we'll see how they do. I have a feeling that they're going to make a Best Picture play for it. Because any movie that makes that much money, you kind of got to figure. Even though it has no other Oscar cred to it at all. I mean, it doesn't have any seriousness, any sort of, you know, deeper themes, right? It's just a fun movie. Yep. That's all it was. So it would be pretty depressing to me if it came down as one of the best pictures of the year. Although if you asked anybody walking the street, what's the best picture of 2012? A lot of them would probably say The Avengers. Right. Yeah, that says that would be a stupid person's response. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So you really want to do a can wrap up, right? No, we did it. Oh, you we know, did it already. We, so there's nothing more to talk about. Are you depressed that a more one? No, I, I. It's a. It's a high. It's a highly admirable, uh, very commendable film. That I. The way I put my opening thing is. Michael Haneke's Amour, a highly admirable, very well-realized drama that led me to wonder which form of suicide I should choose. <laughs> I guess as one Jeff, you did not. <laughs> You're so funny. But that's honestly what I was thinking about through much of Amour. I said, I am not going to do this, you know, between watching my father go, you know, in a way like that, and, uh, God, and God forbid, uh, my mom's still with us. But to watching people and, and assisted living, uh, it's just horrible. It's a, what a what a way to way to to um, to wrap up uh, a life of you know passion or achievement. God, it's so funny how people conceive movies so differently. Like to me, all I did was watch it and go, God, that guy really loves that woman. Yeah, come on, Sasha. It's about a woman dying. What are you talking about? It's not about a woman dying. It's about a man taking care of a woman dying. And that, to me, is the most admirable thing a human being can do. Very very compassionate and loving and caring and and maybe getting to the point that he believes that her spirit is in that pigeon. Is that part of it? You know, that's where, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a film that is layered and mature and straight. And it's and it's uh, it doesn't cop out, and it's it, and it, and yet it does use a you know employ a nice kind of fantasy dream sequence at the very end. Um, a highly commendable film, you know. I no question that I saw something really good there. And yeah. but I thought about how I'm going to kill myself, and that's what people are thinking about. When Not me. I wasn't thinking about that. Your own life from a movie. You can't say, oh yeah, I like that movie. That was great. 
I had no way. I totally identified with this notion of how much do you love somebody to take care of them that way. And I could think of a couple people who I love enough to pick them up when they've peed the bed and wash them off and, you know, and soothe them at night. God, one of the best parts of that movie is when she's screaming in pain and he comes in and he caresses her hand and he calms her down and he tells her that story. It's just, oh, my God. You know, I mean, that... I've never seen a filmmaker really do that, go go into that kind of truth like that, so gently and honestly. And you know, I, who would have thought Michael Haneke could pull that out? <laughs> I certainly did. Who would have thought that he would have a film about people dying? I mean, why was such a intimate film? Would such take a, that? Yeah, well, because his movies are so remote and cold most of the time, and um, they're good, but they're pretty icy, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. But this one's not it's not icy at all and these two actors are just amazing. I guess I'm so sick of seeing youth-oriented movies lately. Everything's now, about see, young this people. Is a, this is a trick you're using. Because I it made me think about my own death and how I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> you're saying that I'm thinking about gee, why can't we see a movie about younger people? win the, the palm door that's not a fair thing to no say. i wasn't saying that i was saying me personally i'm not i'm not talking about at can i'm talking about here in america where everything is so youth oriented you know they just don't tell stories about old people anymore here or you know we put our old people in old folks homes we don't look at them we hate aging everything's about anti-aging women don't age over here you know and for me you personally love aging yourself do i what you happen to yeah you like find something um, well, I, I get as I get like, older, I get less vain about my looks. I would sure would love to make myself look younger, but I resent the fact that I have to. And I also think that um, what scares me more than aging is dying and being alone and when you die and how scary that is and leaving the ones you love. And, you know, maybe that's a difference between men and women, but that's sort of how I looked at that movie and I thought it was a refreshing change compared to the kind of stuff I have to watch over here, which I think Americans, our general collective thinking is so limited and ridiculous when it comes to film now. But And I think that's why going to Cannes is, to me, so important. You know, I know that a lot of people seek out these foreign films over here and they watch them, you know, but I don't really. So I kind of need Can to sort of put me down in front of them and say, look, this is what Mexico's doing. This is what, you know, people in the filmmakers in Romania are doing. And, you know, wow, look at what the French filmmakers are doing. And here's a, just a different way to look at filmmaking as opposed to how much money did that movie make? <laughs> She's hot. I want to fuck her. Oh, her career's so over, you know. It's like, it's just, I'm not snobby or anything about it particularly, but a movie like Amour to me is like a real movie. It's an actual movie that tells a story that illuminates the bigger picture. No, it's a serious movie, all right. I mean, there's you know. no dismissing that movie. Uh-uh. Uh, it's that's I would never put it down on, on it's it's nothing but praiseable. Yeah. Except for the way it makes you feel and where it takes you in your thoughts about your parents, your own life, the end of things. Yeah. The horrible process that awaits apparently everybody, except those who are lucky enough to get shot in the head. <laughs> it is grim. There's no denying it. It's grim, but I don't know. I just watching I them. But yeah, it sure is nice to find pigeons when you're old, and you know, it sure is nice to uh, to change diapers if someone you really care for. Yep, I, I get. I guess that. Not nice to change diapers, but look at how long they lived together, how much they loved each other, and what he was willing to do, and how he took care of her. I love the scene where the daughter, played by um, Isabel Huppert, the beautiful Isabel Huppert, yes. um, uh-huh. still beautiful after yeah. all these years. Uh, French women, they just don't age. <laughs> They're just so yeah. stunning, even up to, to the last... Yeah. But she, when she says, I've been calling, I've been calling, I, don't you know that I've been concerned? And, and he says, you know, your, your concern is, is not the most important thing to me right now. It's not what I'm, right. you know, worried about. I'm not worried about you being concerned. I'm worried about the day-to-day reality of taking care of this person and keeping her out of a hospital. I promised her she would not go into a hospital. Remember, she makes him promise. Right. 
make some promise. That's a, that's a, I, I knew where that movie was going almost. I probably should have woken up to that because that's what Haneke was telling us. This yeah. is not going to go into the hospital, fellas. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is what happens when you decide to actually care for somebody. Yeah. You know, and in, in a different kind of world, there would be more people there taking care of her than just him. You know, that he would have all kinds of other people around and... Um, well, the, the daughter, at least Isabel Holpera, comes over. But the right? wife can't bear for her to see her like that, you know? Yeah. And he knows that. I mean, she the woman's in pain the whole time she's dying. She's in pain. She's humiliated. She hates the, her life. She hates having to be in a wheelchair. She doesn't even want to talk about it when that, when that music piano player guy comes over. And yeah. he wants to know why she's paralyzed on her right side or whatever and she just says i don't want to talk about that let's talk about something else you know the whole time you're watching that you just feel time ticking down you know you feel the finite nature of of life and it's terrifying and on the other hand when you look down you know into the abyss you have to look at it you can't just pretend it isn't coming you know to time your life properly you have to count the end. No, I think Backwards. honestly, frankly, Sasha, that the way to approach um, the inevitable is to absolutely tell it to go fuck itself and to deny <laughs> it right to the end. You know? I, I know. Mean, when you have no choice and you drop on the street from a heart attack or something, then okay, then you've just dropped from the street. But, you know, I mean, I don't mean deny it in the sense that you shouldn't live well and, I mean, healthily and. Uh, respectfully to your body and to your to your and to your soul and to everything else, but I I just don't believe that um, meditating upon uh, and and particularly drawing it out you know it's 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 grotesque it's awful. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's the measurement of love, the extent really of it. Really to be said for John F. Kennedy's way of uh, leaving this world, honestly. You know? Well, in a way, he's lucky, but. If given the choice, there's no way Jackie Kennedy would have let him die that way. She would have hung on to him to the very end. And and I think of the people that I love and how I would hold on to them until the very end. And I I just remember my poor dad, you know. He couldn't let go of my grandma and she was dying. And she didn't need to have a food tube put in her stomach to keep her alive a couple more weeks. But he had it done because he couldn't let her go. And she was so miserable those last few days and my memory of her is of her in her hospital bed weighing about 60 pounds with a tube stuck in her stomach reaching it, out uh, how did it get can i ask uh, i never heard of that um she wasn't refusing to eat and yeah so they, she okay. would have starved to death just she like tried to starve her starve herself to death. no she just lost her appetite as, as an animal will do when it's about to die you know she was dying well, you know, that's how Michelangelo Antonioni passed. He just stopped eating. Yeah. In Rome. And he just wasted. And I think that he, uh, rather than actually be violent towards himself, you know, with a um, you know, a gun or something, or uh, he decided to uh, do it that way. But he, uh, that's what she was trying to do, is what yeah. you're telling. Mm-hmm. Well, and remember... Emmanuel Riva was trying not to eat too, and he was saying, "You have to eat, or you will die, or yeah. we'll have to put fo- a tube in your stomach." You know, you have to eat, mm-hmm. and she didn't want to eat. She didn't want any food. You know, it's the first thing that happens when someone's about to die is they totally lose their appetite. You know, mm-hmm. and so my poor grandma. You know, that was her end. That was her. Well, can miserable- I ask something? How do you put a tube what do you put into the tube what do you put in a person's stomach do they i guess it's just whatever kind of like baby food or whatever you know formula okay saline solution i don't know and the tube goes into this person's side or something yeah it was right poked right into her stomach oh man yeah it was pretty miserable there at the end but my dad could not let go of her could not and that's what this movie is about it's 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 less about her needs as it is about his needs and he realizes that you know he realizes that he has to let her go and that's what's hard for him because he can't he can't let his best friend go Mm -hmm. and i can understand that feeling what do you mean he can't let her go he does let her go he eventually does but he keeps her alive that long because he can't face letting her go you know and and that's what's the beauty of it and the truth of it really is that you know my my sister had a dog 
that she loves so much. And that poor dog lost all of his leg or both of his hind legs and he couldn't move. And he was laying in the backyard, like pooping himself. And I just remember his sad pleading eyes when I went back there to say hi to him. And he was laying in the cold and she couldn't take him to go put him down. She loved him so much, you know, and so he was suffering as a result of her love. And that's the same in this movie. It's she was suffering as a result of his love. And it was suffocating, just like the pigeon, you know, and he had to just let her go. I think it's just really moving and profound, that film. You know, it it talks about the bare, ugly truth of our lives. You know? Yes, I know what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I I watched it, and you can't take that away from me. I don't care how... I'm not taking it away from you. I'm just saying that, that... that I think that the that there's a universality there that other people responded to. And I think the lesser universal reaction to that film is to think about it in terms of, oh, my God, I would just shoot myself in the head rather than have to endure that. And you know what? Emmanuel Riva probably would have just shot herself in the head if given the choice, you know? She does it. She stays alive because he wants her to stay alive. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But saying goodbye to someone permanently and forever, which we all have to do to the people we love, doesn't that just shatter your soul every day of your life? It does me. When I think of my wonderful relationship with my daughter and having to say goodbye to her finally when one of us dies forever, that's horrible. What could be worse than that? Uh, Making a movie about it? (laughs) He made a masterpiece. I'm not saying it's not an excellent film, but you said what's worse than the reality of that is. So you're saying it's better to just forget about it, not think about it, not look at it, not prepare for it. Yeah, just it's to... better to watch a movie like Zorba the Greek, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> or the Guns of Navarone, or any. You know, I mean, honestly, as I said, uh, this you try to play this movie for my mother and her friends at assisted living. <laughs> It's not going to be a hit. I, I disagree. I think your mom would love that movie, by the way. She would love it. Trust me. Um, so can you talk a little bit about Holy Motors? Because I never saw it, but I'm hearing so much about it. And obviously it became the critic's darling and everybody thought it was going to win. But, you know, Manola Dargis wrote a piece about it. And she said that the audience booed at the end. Did they? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm kind of funny uh, having a little problem here because uh, she... Are presented Holy Motors as something that um, is kind of, you know, it has its admirers and has its detractors. It's almost like a split decision hmm. amongst uh, either critics or people that she, maybe she saw it in a public screening with the with the black tie crowd. I don't know. Yeah. So it, it wasn't like that with me, and I, I saw it in the follow-up screening, which was at noon, and it had some regular folks, uh, you know, with tickets, and uh, we're talking about uh, people that just, you know, got tickets to go see it, and this wasn't the first critic screening. On the evening one, the one that you missed, this is the second one, because I missed, I, I didn't get there in time. Yeah. And people were cheering. They were delighted. It was like, you know, particularly a, a French filmmaker who had done something that uh, was so hallucinatory and yet uh, very clearly made and uh, and yet was very free, uh, mm. untethered to what we would, uh, what we all know as a fairly traditional uh, thematic and narrative line. Uh, they were excited. They were, they were, they were you know, Standing up and 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 you know, just cheering him on, and it was. Uh, I I didn't feel anything split at all. I mean, uh, I don't say you, you that you were obliged to like that or be, but but the word after that it got better and better and better. Yeah, and just it just seems like through. every year there's always one movie that the critics cling to, like, you know, as if this makes us so special because we like this one movie. You know. No, it doesn't. It, it's 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 not our we are special or that the the gang that likes this thing. It's it, it's inescapably inescapably um, a, a, a very liberating thing to to watch that film and kind of just go with where um, 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 you know the, the 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 movie takes you if you just submit to it and, and um, stop. Um, Looking for that uh, for that narrative uh, co- cohesion that you get from films that don't play the kind of 
freeform, imaginative, uh, you know, kind of like Lodge Door. It's Bunuelian. It's uh, it's David Lynchian. So know. it's like Mulholland Drive a little? Uh, and more so, though. It's crazier, you know. It's huh. really, uh, and it's like this guy who just gets into these, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the guy who gets into adventures, you know. So. No, I'm dying to see it. It sounds really funny and, and interesting. Um, did you see Beasts of the Southern Wild? Yes, I did see that at Sundance. And again, inescapably a, a very uh, exciting and uh, something to, to really thrill to from a creative standpoint. But, uh, but again, when you put yourself in that movie, what it is really, apart from the beautiful little girl that the movie is about... Uh, you have to cope with, and frankly, it gets to be a drag to be with these um, people that are, her father included, uh, who's a yeller and a screamer, and they're, they're these people that are incessantly just, you know, with the bottle, you know, it's just a, a lot of drinking going on, a lot of, uh, you know, we're, we're people of the earth, and we, we have fun in the evenings around the bonfire, and we throw rum down our, our gullets, you know. It's it's not uh, you know alcoholism people that throw alcohol down that this much, it's not very interesting. It's, it, well, I don't think the movie is praising that. They're showing it from the girl's point of view, and this is the world she's born into. And no, it's not just the wor- world she's born into. It's the movie that I'm watching. Yeah, but I'm- you're seeing it from her point of view. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm there too. Uh, she's on the screen. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching it. You know. <laughs> I know. I, I don't know. I thought it was really incredible. I, I again, yeah. so sick of the sort of PC notion of filmmaking anymore. You know, and it is. I, it, it, it's. I said this is great. This is exciting. This is really doing something that I'm so delighted to be watching. But then, after about an hour or so, I started to say, "Is there gonna?" You know, I mean, I started to long for you know uh, for somebody in this movie to like escape. The bathtub in the, in the bayou, and find a Motel Six and take a shower. <laughs> yeah, well, I think she she conquers in the end. I mean, there's there's to a certain extent you have to accept that there are other worlds and people live in other worlds and they live a different way, even in America. You know, that precisely this is an American tale. This is what absolutely so cool it's yeah. really good. And the best thing about it is the writing. The writing yeah. is just insane, and and the the girl is great, the girl performer. She's wonderful. But I think she that it's it's probably the most exciting de- debut by a director in years. Yep. I mean, I just think it's really something special. I think it's going to do, it's going to make an impact in the Oscar race for sure. Yep. Plus, plus with Fox Searchlight behind it, you know, yeah. it's probably going to get a Best Picture nomination: director, screenwriting, actress, supporting actor. Supporting actress, I think. Nah, she's lead. She's lead. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that you, were, when you're that young, you can be a lead. If you're automatically relegated, I don't think they'll supporting. Yeah, but I don't think they will go for that supporting. I why, don't do think you, so. why do you say that? She's because not- there's been a lot of debate in recent years about that, and they ever since the girl and whale rider was going to be supporting, and they put her in yep. lead, that doesn't happen anymore. You know, they go for lead. All right. So, um, but. It's going to help the Academy erase a lot of their racist leanings, I think, if they go for this movie. Okay. And it, it's not just a movie that, you know, has African-Americans in it. It's actually a really good movie. No, I, yeah, but it's, not, but it's boring when a person is just drinking and yelling all the time. It's not It would good. have been boring if it wasn't for the writing. The writing saves it from being boring because it's so poetic and beautiful. The last act is very good, yes. Yeah. Okay. Took my breath away. I literally couldn't catch my breath after that movie. I had to sit there and breathe when the credits rolled because I couldn't. I just wow, astonishing mm-hmm. that someone could be that brave of a storyteller in this day and age where you see the same old, same old, same old. And you know what I like about him? He didn't go to film school, and like Lena Dunham, uh, she didn't go to film school either. And so you have these filmmakers who can just get their hands on filmmaking equipment and they're bypassing all the shit you know all the people telling them that you can't make a movie about this and you can't tell a story about that and you can't make a show with a fat girl in the lead who's going to watch that and you can't make a movie that if you're a little you know young white guy about you know black characters living in the bayou or whatever you can't so these guys are doing stuff that normally people would tell them they can't do 
And you almost have to figure, is is film school the problem, you know? <laughs> is that why there aren't so many great young American storytellers anymore? But I feel so revived by these people, by these, by Ben Zeidlin and by Lena Dunham and people like that who are just sort yeah. of taking a non-traditional route to tell stories. Right. And it's refreshing as hell. It's like the 60s all over again, you know? Yes. Right. So. All right, what next for you? You're in Prague. Yeah. Did you get any nibbles on your... I'm finally trying to find anyone who would like to uh, contribute and uh, and put a, a piece up of their... Uh, that's a, you know, because I have to kind of fill in, in a three-day thing in which I've decided, uh, without getting too particular, I'm going to do about a three-day, uh, uh, you know... Hiatus. Yeah, hiatus, if you will. And uh, I thought uh, there's some, you know, because... Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll advance post some some. Um, I've been doing this thing for like six years. I could maybe find some favorite posts and and put them up and time them, you know. Yeah. And I could do that. But I'd like you know. I'm sure there's a lot. Everybody's got a, got a lot in the inside them that they they should say and and could say. And you'll get good, um, you know, uh, play out of it if you put it on Hollywood elsewhere. And and I just want people to send me some photos. So have people go, sent you anything yet? Yeah, a couple things, but I anything but I, good. I didn't have a chance to read them. Oh, been, okay. Because I, I was going to suggest to you if you didn't do that, if you didn't do a guest post, which I think is a really nice, cool idea to do. But mm-hmm. if you didn't, you, you you could retell some of your great old stories. You know, the, some of your wonderful posts about um, your history in Hollywood and things like that. I always love those. And if you repost some of those, yeah, I could do maybe something like that. That's, that's an idea. Yeah. 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 But it's a good idea to give some other people play. I think that's really nice of you. Consider it. Hmm. Anyway, so that's just the idea. Uh, you know, I have never taken any time off, ever. Uh, I've been, you know, had a slow day or two, you know. But yeah. I've never said I'm not working today for six years. God <laughs> damn, dude. <laughs> That's crazy. That's why you're so successful, though. You just hit it hard every day. Mm. You know? You could check yeah. Hollywood elsewhere three or four times a day, which I do, and there's always, like, a new story up. And that is the key to blogging successfully. That's the key. You keep people coming back several times yeah. a day and checking your site. Right. If you do one update a day, you're losing the game. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> true. So, well, good. You should enjoy your time off. It's about time. You know, you worked hard. You deserve it. And it's not for, not for that long. So. Right, right, right. All right. Well, and I can't wait to see Prometheus on Friday. That'll be a Oh, my time. God. I can't believe you get to see it. Are you embargoed from reviewing it, or do you get to review it? I think if you're, listen, it opens, uh, you know, look, check the idea. On May 30th, it opens in quite a few countries. Oh, God. And I'm over here, and I, if it's opened, it's open. That's so it. it's, you're telling me it's opening in other countries before it's playing here? Before it's yes, screening it, here? Yes. Oh, my God. So it must, ter- it must suck so hard. Well, <laughs> well, no, the pattern is becoming that films like Battleship opened way before it opened there. Yeah, and Battleship was terrible. It's, uh, it's yeah. like that's what they do when they want to make a lot of money before the bad reviews come out. Um, okay, that's a, that's way of, uh, of, of uh, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but uh, how can Ridley Scott, who owns the whole alien thing, how can he, you know... Go wrong. Uh, I know. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm worried about the lead star, Numi Rapace. I, she was good in Dragon Tattoo, but I've not seen her be good since... She kind of was wooden in Sherlock Holmes, and she's my main concern. So if she's as wooden as she was in Sherlock Holmes, then she's not going to be that great in this, but, you know, we'll have to see. Maybe it's because she's not acting in her own language. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but um, but I agree with you. How bad could it be? Ridley Scott, The Alien Universe, written by the lost guy? I mean, it's got to be pretty good, but... Uh-huh. But the the release pattern worries me a little bit, and the fact that they're shutting. It. I mean, if it was a good movie, they would have critics. They'd be begging critics to go see it, you know. So, we'll see. Okay, well, so check back in with me. When, yeah, I will. Okay, keep yeah. me posted. Yeah. All right. All right. It's now. Um, we did a fifty-minute. Ten minutes after nine and ten minutes after twelve, your time. 
So I'll call you tomorrow or something, and um, okay. and good talking to you as usual. Nice talking to you too, and enjoy Prague. Okay, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye. You've been listening to episode seventy nine of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wills from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast, and we will be back next week. The bumper music was. The End by David and the Citizens and Fake Empire by The National. Thanks for listening. Stay out super late tonight Picking apples, making pies Put a little something in our lemonade And take it with us, put it half away in a fake empire We're half awake In a fake empire Tiptoe through our shiny city With our diamond slippers on Do our gay ballet nights Bluebirds on our shoulders We're half awake In a fake Empire, we're half awake in a fake empire.